All right. Good morning. So today, we're you know we finished up the minor prophets last week. This week, we're going to start a six weeks series on gospel culture, and then we're going to be going to the book of Ephesians. So I want to I want to start this morning by just just talking about what gospel culture is. And so there's this quote from from Ray Orland. He says this. Let's not assume that our churches are faithful to the gospel. Let's examine whether they are. The test of a gospel-centered church is its doctrine on paper plus its culture in practice. And so at BC, we've long said that that we want to be a church that's that's gospel-centered, that that what we do, uh, who we are, how we operate as a church, that the gospel is what's central to us. And so the way we examine ourselves, the way we kind of test to see whether we're actually doing that is we look at our, at our doctrine on paper. So this is what we say we believe about who Jesus is and what he's done. And then we also take the next step and we look at, at the way that, that we're living our lives, the way that we're interacting with one another, the, the culture that we have as a church, and ask, is that you know evident of, of the gospel's work in our life? And so it's one thing for us to say as a church, hey, hey we believe the gospel, but it's another thing for us to actually look at whether we're, we're living it out together. And so uh, part of the goal of this series is for us to do that together. Now, you know, we, we talked about gospel culture in the past. Back in, in summer 2021, we talked about neediness, humility, vulnerability, honor, uh, hospitality, kindness, and, and generosity. And this series doesn't mean that, like, all of that doesn't matter. Right? This is not gospel culture 2.0, right? Like the old is done. This is, this is the new gospel culture. That's, that's not what we're doing. Like we, we still care about all of those things. But, but at the time, we felt like, hey, those were some, some key ways where, where we as a church needed to work together to make sure that we're actually putting the gospel into practice in our church life. And so there's an, an endless number of terms that we could string together to say, hey, these are, these are ways in which we can live out the gospel together, right? We could spend the rest of our lives together as a church coming up with new words we could use to describe gospel culture. For this series, right, we're, we're, we're just trying to highlight specific ways in which we as a church can, can put the gospel, the, the belief that we have about who Jesus is and what he's done into practice, into our lives. So we're going to talk about honesty, graciousness, courage, forgiveness, freedom, and reconciliation. These are, these are the aspects of gospel culture that we're going to talk about this time. And we believe that, that these things are, are fundamental products of the gospel in our life. And so if, as we go through this series, I find or, or you find that maybe we're not as, as honest as we should be, or maybe we're not as, as free from sin as we should be, then that should cause us to do two things. First, it should cause us to, to look to Jesus and what he's done for us and, and, and consider whether we've really understood what's taken place on our behalf. And then it should cause us to look at our own lives, at our own hearts, and, and ask the question, why, why isn't the gospel having its intended effect in me? But what we don't want to do is this. Right? We don't want to create, uh, as, as we talk about gospel culture, we don't want to create a new legalism. Right? We don't want to say like, okay, well, well, now being a Christian is believing the gospel plus being honest. 
or plus, you know, being gracious. Obviously, Christians should be honest and gracious, but we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. These things don't add on to that list. But because we're saved, because of who Jesus is and what he's done, these things should be evident in our life. And so today, we're going to start by looking at honesty. And we'll begin in Galatians 2. So I'm going to read Galatians 2, uh, 11 through 14. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Uh, if not, it'll be on the slides behind me. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So in this passage, Paul and, and Cephas, who's another name for, for Peter, they're both in Antioch, and, and things were going great until these guys from, from James come along. James is, is the leader of the church of Jerusalem, and, and these guys roll into town, and then Peter starts, starts acting kind of squirrely. He, he acts differently than he did before they got there. And so Paul says he, he opposed Peter to his face because Peter stood condemned. And so the question we should ask is why? Like why, why is Paul opposing Peter to his face? And we need to recognize that, that this is, is a pretty uh, incredible act from Paul, right? Paul's, Paul's the new guy at this point, right? He, he doesn't quite yet have the trust of the other leaders. And so for Paul, he's taking a big risk opposing to the face one of the pillars of the church, like he's, he's stepping out of there. And so it's got to be something that, that's pretty important for Paul for him to take this kind of risk, for him to take this, this drastic action. So look at verse 14. It says, he saw, Paul saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So, so their actions, Peter and his, his cronies, the, the, the things they were doing, the, the way that they were living, their, their culture wasn't in step with the gospel. It wasn't in line with the gospel. So Peter was, was preaching a gospel and, and believing a gospel that he wasn't living out. He wasn't walking out. He wasn't demonstrating. His actions weren't in step with it. And his, his false gospel culture was contagious. Right? He, he led other people astray. Even Barnabas went with him. So what's the problem with Peter's behavior? Why isn't it in step with the gospel? What did he do to get this, this strong rebuke from Paul? Well, Paul says that before these guys showed up, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. And that would have been a big deal before Jesus came. Right? That would have been unlawful for people, for Peter. Right? It would have been the wrong thing for a Jew to eat with a Gentile. But because Jesus came, Jesus taught that like, it's, not, it's not what we eat or who we eat with that makes us unclean. It's what comes out of us that makes us unclean. And so it was totally okay. In fact, it was a good thing that Peter was eating with the Gentiles, that he accepted them, that he, he welcomed them as Jesus had welcomed him. But when these guys from James show up, Peter, Peter changes his behavior. His actions don't actually line up with what he believes 
about the Gentiles, and he, he, he separates himself. He, he draws back from the church, from brothers and sisters in Christ. Why did Peter do this? Right? He, he knows what the right thing is to do, but he doesn't do it. Why? Paul says he feared the circumcision party. And so what's the circumcision party other than someplace you don't want to go? At best, the circumcision party was a group of of Jewish leaders who taught that when a Jewish Christian started following Jesus, that what they needed to do to be a Jewish Christian was to believe in Jesus and and keep some of the Old Testament law. That's, That's at best. At worst, the circumcision party were those that taught that everyone, in order to believe in Jesus, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you need to believe the gospel and keep the Old Testament law. Either way, the circumcision party was a group of early Christians who distorted the gospel by adding stuff onto it. And Peter, along with them, does the same thing. The second thing we need to recognize is is why did Peter change his behavior out of fear? He feared the circumcision party, feared this group who, who thought that in order to be a Christian, you needed to trust in Jesus and, and keep the Old Testament law. Peter's not keeping the Old Testament law, and so he's afraid of these guys. Why was he afraid of them? I think that we could come up with some reasons because we fear people sometimes, right? Maybe, maybe he wanted these guys to like him. Maybe he was afraid about what they would go back to Jerusalem and tell James, the, the guy that's in charge. Maybe Peter wanted to be well-respected and seen as a leader. Maybe, maybe he was afraid of anyone not liking him. You know, maybe he wanted to be the, the guy that, that everybody looked up to. But either way, like, what is it that he did? His, his fear caused him to take action. His fear caused him to, to hide what, what he really thought and what he really knew was true and act in a way different from what he believed, right? He, he wanted to eat with the Gentiles. He'd been doing that before these guys showed up. But when they showed up, he, he acts falsely. He acts hypocritically. He, he's, he's pretending that he's somebody he's not. In short, Peter is dishonest. The honest thing for him to do in these moments would have been to tell the truth. It would have been to go to these guys and say, hey, these people are accepted. The Gentiles aren't inferior. They're not unclean. They've been made holy by the blood of Jesus, just like I have, just like you have. They they are accepted, and, and we should not only eat with them, we should live our lives with them. Peter should have stood up for the truth. what he should have done. And again, it's not just that that Peter's behavior was a problem. His his false gospel culture led other people astray. Other people went after him and did the same thing that he did. They acted hypocritically just like he did, even even Barnabas. But we also need to show that that Peter's behavior, it's not just that he's dishonest outwardly. He's also dishonest with himself. He's not telling himself the truth about who he really is, about the fact that he has been accepted by Jesus. And because he's been accepted by Jesus, he doesn't need the acceptance of the circumcision party or anyone else. One of my favorite verses when we, when we talk about or when we think about gospel culture is, is Romans 15, 7. It says this, 
It says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We talked about this verse uh, in our last gospel culture series when we talked about hospitality. And, and I said it was the, this verse gives us the, the why, the what, and, and the how of hospitality. The why is, is for the glory of God, right? We welcome other people as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. When we as a church do that, when we live that way, when someone walks through these doors and feels welcomed and accepted, the, the beauty and majesty of Jesus and his gospel is put on display to, to them and to us into the world around us. We want to be a church that does that. We want to to exalt God in how we are hospitable as a church. That's that's why we show hospitality. The the what is that we welcome others. That's that's what we do. We we invite them in. We, We welcome them. We accept them. The how is that we do it as Christ has welcomed us. I've been... You've been accepted in Jesus. And because we've been accepted, we can accept other people. Because we've been welcomed, we can welcome others, right? If Jesus, who is perfect, has welcomed me, who is imperfect, then surely I, who am imperfect, can welcome someone else who is imperfect. But there's something that I didn't talk about. Something that that I missed the last time when we talked about this verse. See, we don't just need to understand how Jesus has welcomed us. If we're going to be honest with ourselves and if we're going to be honest with others, we also need to to understand and and believe and, and dwell in the reality that Jesus has welcomed us. See, I know know that we, we know that. But whether you're someone who thinks that that you always measure up, or whether you're someone who who thinks that you'll never measure up, either way, you're you're, you're finding your your position, your, your standing, your status, your identity in something other than Jesus. And you're going to behave just like Peter. When the right people come along, you're going to change who you are because of them. So hear this truth this morning. Jesus has welcomed you. And don't hear that as like, Jesus has welcomed us. Like when I'm in this group, I'm welcomed. No, Jesus has welcomed you personally. Like who you are, who you're afraid about other people around you knowing about. That, That you. The you when you're successful, the you when you're failing, the you when you're free from sin, the you when you're not, the you when you're a a great parent, and the you when you're a bad parent. Jesus has welcomed you. He's invited you in. He's embraced you. He is with you personally, who you are. Because when we understand not just, not just mentally, but emotionally, spiritually. When we understand that we've been accepted by Jesus, we've been welcomed in by Jesus, it will result in us being honest 
about who we really are, about, about how we're broken, about how we're, we're in the process of being made new. We won't need to hide. We won't need to run away. We won't need to pretend to be someone else. We won't need to be afraid of other people and what they might think or not think about us. We won't lie like Peter does about who he really is and what he really thinks. Ray Orland says that the the most important personal trait in gospel culture is honesty. 1 John 1, 7 says this. It says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He goes on to talk about this passage, and he says this. In the context, walking in the light is an honest relationship with Jesus and one another. So that we're free to grow. And the Apostle John is arguing that this honesty is a mark of orthodoxy as opposed to heresy. It isn't optional. It's apostolic. In too many churches today, nobody admits anything. The social environment of a church can become infested with shaming, posing, blaming, finger-pointing, fault-finding, the opposite of gracious acceptance. That social environment is functional heresy. But in a gospel culture, sinners are safe to own up to their problems and grow together in the Lord. When we understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us, when we really get the fact that he's accepted me, then we'll walk in the light. We won't fear other people knowing who we really are because we know that Jesus knows who we really are and he loves us. He's welcomed us. In order for us to grow individually in the gospel, in order for us as a church to grow together in the gospel, we must be honest with one another. We need to be honest about it, about who we actually are, about how we fall short, about how we're growing, about what Jesus is doing in us, about our, our hopes and our fears, about our successes and our failures. And we need that honesty to be met with with gracious acceptance. And and Daniel's going to talk about graciousness next week. But here are are three things that, that I need to, and that I think you need to take away today. Number one, remember that that you, that that you personally. That that you, that you're afraid about other people knowing about, that you have been accepted by Jesus. If you've put your faith in him for salvation, he has welcomed you in. Not welcomed you in like when you get your life together later. Right? It's not a post-dated check. Jesus has welcomed you. Second thing, remember that because Jesus has welcomed you, you don't need to fear what other people think. You don't need to be afraid about other people knowing you. You can be honest about who you are. And number three, remember that honesty is is a mark of of orthodox belief in the gospel. If you can't be honest with other people about who you are, then there's, there's a problem with your belief in the gospel. 
That there's something that you're not understanding correctly and you need to, to look at that and figure that out so that it has its intended effect in you. And recognize that, that dishonesty on your part or my part, it not only leads us away from gospel culture, it also leads others astray too. And so let's be people together because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done for me, because of what he's done for you, because he's, he's welcomed us in. Let's welcome others. Let's welcome ourselves and, and, and walk in the light, in honesty, together because of what Christ done for us. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm thankful that because of who you are and what you've done for us, because you've welcomed us, we don't need to fear like Peter did. We don't need to be afraid about what, what, what any group or, or any person thinks of us. we can be honest with, with ourselves and with one another about who we are and about what you're doing in us, about the ways in which we still fall short, about the ways in which we still fear people. And so we pray that you would, you would send your spirit to, to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We can't, we can't muster up this kind of honesty. We can't, by, by sheer willpower, produce the gospel's effect in our life. And so we need you to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We need your spirit to have his way in us and in our church. So we pray you would in him. Spirit, we pray you would come and move in us, move among us. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.